Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Uh, Thank you all for tuning back in. Uh, A quick reminder, if you haven't already, please be sure to hit subscribe and follow on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, To date, the podcast has now been downloaded in over 40 countries. Um, And really, that's a thanks to all of you for tuning in, for your feedback. Um, And I can't wait to tune in today's episode. Today, I have Marit Kainat. Uh, he, uh, shares a story today that is holistically in tune with what mile 40 was all about. Uh, when I came up with the idea, uh, his background was he played and flourished in team sports. He played ice hockey as well as soccer growing up in his native Switzerland when an ACL injury led him onto a different path and his passion and talent for running led him to finish his first two marathons in Zurich. And then in New York in 2017, the lockdowns during COVID motivated him together with him becoming a semi-professional athlete, uh, as a runner. He completed a 2.30 marathon, and we'll dig into what that means for all the listeners out there while pursuing a career in finance at the same time. Moritz, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Vishroy. Pleasure to be here. You got it, man. I know I asked you before uh, the podcast to pronounce the last name, and I think I butchered (laughs) it again. So for the audience, can you re-pronounce the last name? No worries. My last name is uh, Einat. Um, it's very special. It's, it's interesting that in, in, in Switzerland, where I live, and also in German-speaking countries, they often think this is actually Anglo-Saxon. So a lot of people say Keeneth because the TH at the end is not very common in German phonetics, especially towards the end of the world. So everyone thinks I'm English-speaking. It happens a lot. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I was just, I was literally in my head. I was like, I just asked him to pronounce it for me. And there I go butchering it. Um, anyway, uh, I'm really excited to have you on today. Um, and, and the reason I'm excited to have you on today is a lot of times people see the name of the Mile 40 podcast. They presume that every episode must be uh, about uh, runners and, and and marathons and and, and completing uh, feats of of that purpose. Um, and while we do certainly touch on a lot of that, what I love about your story is that um, it is holistically in tune with that theme. Uh, and one of the things that you shared with me before we came on today was the fact that you weren't a runner growing up. And and for the listeners out there, for someone that wasn't a runner growing up to run a, a 2.30 marathon, which will again break down what that means, is just absolutely incredible. So let, let's, let's go backwards a little bit with regards to uh, growing up in Switzerland. Um, if you weren't a runner, uh, let's talk a little bit about life as just an athlete in terms of ice hockey and soccer, just to give the background here. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, right. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here on the podcast and talk about um, sort of my running background and my running experiences. And yeah, I mean, athletics and running in general, they are, it is very popular, I'd say, in Switzerland, but it's not as, as, as big as soccer is or ice hockey, because these are probably the two most popular sports also in terms of how many people go and watch it. Um, 
And to be fair, when I was little, I, I hated going to, to to running events. I hated running as well. So for a, a, a very funny anecdote is that my mother used to drag me to these kids' races in like small local races. And I absolutely hated it. I was crying the entire, let's, I don't know, like one mile yet to run as a child uh, and was winning at the same time. But I was crying. It was like shouting, I hate this. I want to quit. Um so yeah, didn't doesn't don't really have a running background as such. So I never joined an athletics club or a running club. I'm still not um, part of a club right now, um, which is also a bit, a bit let's say a bit special. I would say, um, yeah. But so then at at a certain age, I decided to get into ice hockey a bit more um, intensely because also my brother was doing it, so it was became sort of a family thing. And then at some point. Isaac is a super intense sport, uh, also from a time perspective. So you're spending a lot of resources um, going to training. There are not that many ice rinks around very closely. So my parents had to drive us and so on and so forth. So at some point, I had to make a decision. Um, do I really want to sort of uh, fully go for an Isaacy career or not? Um, don't think I was ever talented enough. So I still had to make a decision at some point. So I decided against that and then focused more on playing soccer because that's also because that's probably the most popular sport in Switzerland, if I'm not mistaken. So then playing soccer um, for quite a while, also connected with a lot of friends through that. Um, from early on, so I still played in my like little local club where I grew, where I grew up. Um, almost to my mid-20s, and this is where I ruptured my anterior cruciate ligament. This is a very common uh, um, soccer yeah. injury. And yeah, that sort of changed it around a little bit because during rehab there, um, I... Uh, could start cycling, running, and swimming earlier on than actually playing any impact sports where you have a lot of stop and go movements because the knee still needs time to recover. Yeah. Um, and yeah, during that process of rehabbing there, doing a lot of um, physiotherapy at the same time, I, I just discovered that, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite a decent runner, um, which sort of motivated me once I saw very quick gains at the start, like a lot of people will do when they get into running. Yeah, okay, let's let's run my first 10K. And then I was like, okay, now I've done my first 10K, but let's run a half marathon. So I ran my first half marathon. And I was like, okay, while I'm at it, let, let's just do a full marathon because I'm, I'm in shape. Let, let's try. And it feels like a lot of fun. And that's sort of how everything came about to, to where I'm at now. Of course, and also there were some years in between where, um, let's say, I stagnated a little bit, but then we'll probably get into that a bit later. Then COVID sort of kicked off uh, its, let's say, a next step in progression. Again, from one of uh, another sort of like mile 40 moment, as you call it. So um, is it fair to presume that growing up, given the fact that you were just always involved in sports, that from uh, a cardiovascular and endurance perspective, um, you had a good foundation? I know obviously having an ACL tear could throw you off a little bit, but from a foundation perspective, were you always solid? Yeah, I'd say so. I also, when we did uh, like um, endurance tests in, in ice hockey and soccer, I always ranked really well there. Um so there, there surely must also been some genetics involved that that helped us. My my parents both uh, started running late in their lives, but also were really good. So like ultra marathons uh, through South Africa and through Bhutan and stuff like this. So there also my brother was immensely talented when he was younger um, as a runner. So there always was something there. Um, but yeah, probably 
He's got different the interests. Yeah, the, yeah, probably. Yeah, but they, this is not everything, right? It's a lot of hard work. I have no, to say. of course, no, of course, it's a lot of hard work. And uh, you know, I know before we hopped on, you mentioned your mother uh, asked you to run New York with her back uh, around 2002, and so I, I was actually going to ask you about that. Is can you share a little bit about their backgrounds uh, as athletes? And you said they picked it up later in life. Uh, were they athletes growing up as well? Yes, I think they always did. Like my, my dad always used to do sports as well, played a lot of uh, badminton actually. And uh, I don't know what's it called in English actually. It's sort of like water polo. Um, okay. My mom also used to be fit, but then she really got into running and sports coaching later on. And as you just mentioned, um, they were supposed to run the New York Marathon. I can't remember if it's in 2001 or 2002. And then obviously, because of the tragic events um, during that time, decided against running New York because of safety concerns. Yeah. And then all the years later in 2017, after I've run my first marathon um, in Zurich, my mom asked me, Hey, do you want to do New York? This always been on my bucket list. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's, let's do so, do something, do, do something crazy in a sense um, and, and travel to the States and do it. So I, I saw that you've run four out of the six majors, which, which ones have you run so far? Um, I've done New York twice, actually. Um, Boston, Berlin and London last spring. So in October, I'm actually going to run in Chicago. Okay, great. And uh, then hopefully Tokyo in 2024. But let's let's not 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 decided yet. Maybe I'll see you in Tokyo. I'm doing Berlin this year, nice. Uh, so that'll be number four. Um, and I am uh, trying to figure out my way to getting into London right now. Uh, yes, so, it's very difficult. Yeah, it's, yeah, London is extremely popular as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Um, and so, um, getting back to your course here around running, and you talked about, uh, you know, doing that, those 10 Ks and then eventually moving up to the half marathons. Um, you know, despite the fact that you were solid from a foundation perspective, there's no doubt that long distance running, uh, is a little bit different. Uh, it's a different motion, um, than uh, a lot of the work that you were putting in prior to that. Can we talk about? the mental aspect of transitioning into long distance running um, and uh, the hurdles that you may have had to overcome uh, just accepting the fact that um, you probably weren't used to running 10 to 13 miles uh, regularly prior to that. What was that like? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're making a fantastic point here. Uh, long distance running, I, I would say is at least 50%, if not more about mental strength and about your own drive. And this is where these mile 40 moments come in, right? Sort of, I think the first time I run the, the half marathon or the full one, this was all sort of still driven by this injury I had because I wanted to prove that I'm now actually fitter than before I was injured. So I wanted to really have this moment where I say, okay, I had a really bad um, injury that, you know, limited my 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 capabilities to do sports for a long time so i was like yeah i really want to prove to myself that i'm actually now in better shape than before so that fueled a lot of the motivation or the intrinsic motivation to 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 progress in in, in endurance sports or in long distance running to be more precise and then i think everything else afterwards comes sort of at least in my case was a lot step by step because you you know you run your first 10k and then you feel like okay look next time I'll do maybe 12 and then you, okay, I'm doing 15 now in training. And then all of a sudden you're, you're up to 20 and you feel like, oh, this feels tough, but maybe, you know, I can go a bit farther and a bit farther. And then I realized that intrinsic motivation really drives me on. This is basically still why I'm doing it now. But then I also thought, okay, if I now 
add the extrinsic factor to it, like signing up for a race, yeah. I thought, okay, this really needs to drive you really needs to drive you on and really did because then i thought okay not only do i have now this intrinsic drive to to get better and to reach my goal but also this deadline in a sense or this point in time day x that comes up that really sort of kicked into gear this 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 passion that i still feel today you know as i've gotten more seasoned as a runner over the years uh one of the things that's become more uh clear to me is just the injury prevention aspect of things. And, um, you know, I'll tell you that when I first ran my first marathon, that was not something that was on my mind. Um, <laughs> and as you probably know, uh, you know, the majority of runners, when it comes to injuries, I would say your knees are the first thing to go. Uh, and coming off an ACL tear, um, how much of a, a mental, you know, screw is that for you around like the fact that are my knees susceptible? Are you constantly worried about your knees as you train? Um, or uh, was it a hurdle you've been able to get over pretty quickly? I think I was able to get over it very quickly, but that's also thanks to the to the physio I've worked with and the, the medical teams because they all said, look, if you build muscles, if you build up your um, endurance levels slowly, progressively and gradually, and also have this patience, um, then you will be fine. Your knees will be completely okay. The only thing that is at risk, and this is also, also very often the case with people who are kind of new to running, is they often start too quickly, too fast, and too much. Yeah. And recovery gets, in a lot of times, a bit ignored. While it is a large um, portion and a very important um, fact of your of your day, of your training routine, Um can also speak in, in, in current terms, right? And currently, I'm running probably around 100 miles a week. So quite high volume, and then recovery is is, is 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 basically everything. Next to also strengthening, still doing strength work on the side, not just focusing on running. Really be careful with your running. So if you get more and more volume in, to be mindful, listening to your body, and also be able to tell you if you don't feel well, it's okay to say stop. That doesn't throw you off, but it's still. It doesn't mean you're weak, but it just means, okay, it's it's okay to sometimes say, yeah, look, all right, I'll, I'll leave out a little bit, but then I can do more in the next few weeks to, to sort of like to find this balance between how much do I push and how much do I also, you know, take time and focus on recovery. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think one of the most fundamental lessons that I've learned, and it maybe took me until marathon number four or five, <laughs> where I finally learned, you know, when it comes to those long runs ahead of a race, um, you know, keeping the heart rate low, like it, it's not about finishing yeah, yeah. those long runs fast. Uh, it's yes. about just building up the endurance and getting the miles. Um, and you know, it, you know, as, as someone who could run uh, a pretty fast mile, that's not the point of a a long run. And I think that that's one of the the mental hurdles that a lot of us kind of go through. And we're still figuring out what it means to be um, uh, a long, uh, a long distance runner. Um, and so uh, I just kind of want to point that out for the listeners out there, because there's a lot of people who probably are listening to mile 40, um, who see athletes such as yourself come on uh, and who aspire to just maybe run and sign up for their first race. Um, and a lot of times it's important to kind of paint this picture of we all got excited around that first race. We all want to get out there. We all want to prove to ourselves that we can do this. Um, and you know our mental takes over. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
it's a marathon and not a sprint. And uh, absolutely, it, yes, it's, it's as most basic as it gets in terms of a, a cliche saying, but it, it's absolutely so true. Absolutely, and it's 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 very funny that you say that because I still have this when I sort of officially kick off my build up for a marathon. I'm super excited and hyped up in the first like two weeks, and I also have to actively like block myself and really call myself down and say, okay, no, 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 stay in your zones. Your easy runs need to be super easy. The hard ones you can push, but for everything that's just volume accumulation, take it super slow. You don't need to stress. You have time. Like you said, it's a marathon, not only the race itself, the build up to it is also on um, to, to a large degree. So you're absolutely right. I think this is also key to understand. It's regardless also on the level you're running. It applies to everyone. Everyone is is the same under under these sort of um, considerations and thoughts. Um, so, question about uh, your marathon time. You, yes. you shared that you hit uh, a two thirty time. Um, yep. And just for the listeners, can you break down what that pace is for a two thirty marathon? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. I, I would have to now go into a conversion to see what this is per mile, right? Because we measure oh, we got, it we we slightly differently, right? All right, so um, we're gonna have to do some math on the side here. Okay. So yeah, exactly. No, for but context um, for the listeners, right? Uh, a two thirty marathon time is. Very very, very, very fast. Uh, I, I would say a four-hour marathon time is around a nine-minute pace. Uh, and so we're going to have to work backward from there. I think in a 3.30 would be about an eight-minute pace. So uh, he is much faster than an eight-minute pace right now with regards to uh, his marathon time. But I ask this not to necessarily point at the fact that you're very, very fast, but more so to kind of say, I'm sure when you started, you weren't a 2.30 marathon runner. Um, no. And I want to talk about how we got there. Um, and because, um, you know, when we say semi-pro uh, on your on your bio, we also want to give the listeners a little bit of background in terms of uh, what it's like competing at that level, especially when running wasn't necessarily uh, your background. Um, so let's start from the beginning. Where did you start? Like your first marathon, what were you finishing at? Um, my first marathon was actually 255. So that okay. was already still very impressive. <laughs> still very fast already. Yes. But like, like we established earlier, right? There, there was something in my, my, my past about probably also genetics and mm. growing up in a, in a family that always has done sports that probably made this a bit easier. But to, to, to give a bit of context there, right? This was after my ACL, LCL injury. And then afterwards, I actually took running more as a hobby on the side while still playing soccer. Um, so I completed a couple of marathons around the same time. Um, and didn't really progress a lot. So it, it it required almost like this second mile 40 moment, as you would call it, uh, which were the COVID lockdowns, because, you know, as everyone in the world, in the world we, we then urged to do more sports because we were inside the entire day. But what we were still allowed to do here was to actually go out for, 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 for activities together. So we were allowed to meet outside and, you know, you go to the lake. And then a couple of friends of, of mine and, and, and including myself, we, we sort of started a little running group as such, um, or if you want to call it that. And then, yeah, we all started to progress and get a lot faster because we were able to train more. All of a sudden, it was more acceptable to work from home. This is something in Switzerland that was also not very common at the time, or at least in the classic industries as, as banking is. Um, you all of a sudden have more, have more capabilities to train. And then also with a group, with a good dynamic, with a good... Um, spirit behind it we all sort of got a lot faster so then my first marathon after the lockdowns was like then 235 so i immediately bumped under it or a quite took a quite significant jump 
Um, and then afterwards, I think it was all about, and this is generally something I have always in mind when I when I plan or when I train for a new event is I want to make gradual progress. Um, it is very rare that you make a jump like I did from sort of like pre to post COVID. Um, but otherwise, it's all about the process of you run a race, you take your lessons learned, and then you try to improve next time. So you tweak your training a little bit. You try to, okay, now maybe I do a little bit more of that. It's almost like a, a baking session. You sort of yeah. like, okay, what do I need? Of what, of what element do I want to add next time and see how this affects my performance? And then you sort of, it's trial and error in many ways too. So you sort of end up continuously improving yourself by thinking, okay, what can I change to, to make my running even faster? Got it. Um, and for the listeners out there, I took a quick peek. Uh, a 2.30 marathon is a 5 minute and 43 second mile. So imagine doing that for 26 <laughs> miles. And uh, that is how you get the title of, of semi-pro uh, going on to uh, you know your, your running career. Um, you mentioned the COVID period. And I think it's yeah. important that we touch on that because I think a lot of uh, endurance athletes in particular saw opportunity during that period with everything that was going on, right? There was nothing else to do but to go outside uh, and to run um, and to really hone in on the fact that now you were given the gift of time to to train and to uh, recover. What was your mindset when COVID hit um, and and how did you approach it? Yeah, basically, as you almost laid out there for me as a, if you would know my answer. It, yeah, I saw it as an opportunity, right? Of course, we all struggled. I also sometimes did. Obviously, being at home all the time, uh, my partner is a doctor, so she was always allowed to, or allowed, if yeah. you will. She still had to go to work, obviously. Um, but then I was often alone at home the entire time. So I was always looking forward to these running sessions. We're like, okay, we're going to meet outside now for, for, for a track workout or for an easy run or for whatever. Um, so it was sort of a motivational moment as well. Or running gave me a lot back or a lot of sanity while being sort of stuck inside. But at the same time, I also realized very quickly how I was able to progress from, from, from an athlete's point of view. So I saw, okay... Like in every situation in life, I believe there is always a drawback and a benefit to it. It just always depends on how you approach it. And I would say I'm usually almost like a chronic optimist. I always try to see the good things or I focus, try to focus on the good things um, or on the benefits. So I very quickly then saw, okay, look, this is, of course, a situation that sucks for everybody and it's very difficult for, for a lot of people. But then again, yeah, I was like, okay, now is my chance to actually really ramp up my training, get better at running. So that was basically my mindset the entire way through until then. Thankfully, we're all now. Yeah. safe and and normal again absolutely you and i were a hundred percent on the same page you know we saw the bigger picture and of course um you know there was a lot going on in the world and um you know absolutely had to empathize with all of that um and at the same time uh there was an opportunity for some personal growth in particular uh when it came to uh the athletic side of things, you know, we just kind of saw this opening, uh, you know, and, and we'll we'll dig into this as well because I know you have an intense career in the finance world. I had a career in the finance world at one point, um, and I saw I know what that's all about, and I know the demands of that, um, and I know that running a hundred miles a week is extremely time consuming, uh, yes. and um you have to really want it to make it happen. Um, and so let's actually talk about that a little bit. How long have you been in finance? 
Um, I think it's been now with uh, doing my master's degree in between probably eight years, nine years. Um, so quite a while already. Um, yeah, that's yeah. I think that's, that's about right. Got it. Um, and I, I mean, I, I know you spent most of your career in Europe, but can you actually, if you can, give us a, a little hint as to what it's like working um, in finance, where you're at relative to what it might be like working in finance on Wall Street for a lot of <laughs> listeners out there, if you have any insight that you could share? Yes, yes, because I work with, with colleagues in the US quite often as well. Um, well, I'd say it's not too dissimilar uh, with the only difference maybe in Switzerland is that you have actually quite a good uh, safety net. So if you lose your job, you're you're not immediately on the street. There are no disappearances on insurance, employ uh, unemployment insurances and all these sort of things. Um, but it is very demanding. Swiss people are generally known for working quite a lot. And in banking, this, as you probably, or in, in finance in general, you probably know this yourself, it exacerbates even more. Um, so you're right. It is a, a big task or a big challenge sometimes to fit everything in together. Um, it requires a lot of planning ahead. Uh, requires the flexibility from the employer as well. So I always had very good uh, line managers so far that were quite understanding, which obviously helped. But I think the biggest, the biggest sort of... Uh, um, sort of contributor is also my, my my partner because she also allows me or we also also have this relationship where we provide each other the freedom to do a lot of sports. She also likes to do a lot of sports herself. So we have this understanding for one another to sort of know, okay, yeah, um, let's give each other that freedom and then have the moments where we are together to really enjoy it. But then at the same time, you know, allow development and progress um, on, an in, on an individual level as well. Is it... Um easy for you to show up to work uh, as a runner of this stature. You know, like one of the constant uh, or consistent issues that people face here stateside sometimes is when they're this invested in something outside of their work, uh, a lot of times it's hard for them to be their full authentic selves at work because it could kind of generate this idea of, is this person all in? Or is this person, yeah. you know, uh, you know, would they take a day off if they had to, uh, you know, for a race or for whatever it may have been? Again, it's a culture thing, right? Like, yeah, I, no, I but you working in banking here, it was it was hard uh, to maintain both, and you had to really draw clear boundaries. Is it the same over there? Absolutely, and this is something also why I think a lot of people at work don't know uh, about my running or. Maybe they're not that aware. Uh, thankfully, I had teams around me who knew and who were very understanding. So I was very lucky in that regard. But regardless, right? It it is it is it happens sometimes that people would approach me and say, like, okay, how do you do this training uh, as much as you do and at the same time work? Isn't your performance impacted by it? like there are these stigmas coming with it, right? Yeah. Isn't your performance impacted by it? Or can you actually focus? Do you have energy to do this? And I mean. There is some truth behind that sometimes. I have to say, when I have very high volume weeks, it can be that I feel sometimes a bit tired. But this is also where you, I would say, uh, I would have the self-discipline to always be aware that, you know, the work is always priority number one, obviously. Um, and then if I feel like, okay, I can't perform at work anymore as I should, or as I also aspire to, then I know, okay, maybe the running needs to take a bit of a backdrop, or maybe I should decrease my volume slightly to be, be able to fit in both roles at the same time. Um, but then again, what I also say to people who approach me like that is, 
someone who excels at endurance sports or sports anything. in general, yeah. anything. Yes, you're right. Also can, could be a musician or whatever, where you have to do a lot of practice. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of willpower. Those people actually show you that if they're stimulated very or in, in, in a motivating way that they can actually perform at a very high level or they can be very dry driven. So this can be very, very much applied also to the, to the employment work. doesn't matter what field you're working in because it sort of shows you have the discipline, you have the willpower to go through with something. You can set your own goals, you can achieve them. And that's, I think, is also a quality that should not be underestimated that comes with exercising any sports or any sort of um, hobby at a very at a higher level or even at an amateur level. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think it's one of the questions that I face off a lot around, um, you know, how are you doing all this while uh, maintaining a, a full time job? And uh, it, it requires an extreme amount of discipline and prioritization, uh, compartmentalizing. Uh, you know yeah. what what's important, what's not. Being very efficient, making good use of your time. You know, if a meeting is unnecessary, making sure that you know it doesn't clog your calendar. Um, and uh, you know, the list goes on and on with regards to how to go about it. But what I love about what you're doing is, um, you're continuing to excel and get better and better and better and faster and faster. Um, and that just means, uh, you know, a consistent investment in the work. Uh, and uh, it shows that you're refining this process of juggling the two of them. Um, and so uh, it's really, really spectacular to watch. And I know this last weekend, I saw that you posted uh, that you got you got placed um, for a race. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. But I think first, what I also want to say is regarding... Um, you're absolutely right. When you work full time, you have a demanding job and you want to do sports or any other hobby on the side. Um, what you also, what I found really helped me sort of prioritizing my, my workload or my day in a sense and planning is to say no sometimes. Yeah. Um, to sometimes also say, look, friends ask you dinner tonight, drinks there, um, weekend somewhere in Italy or whatever it may be. It's okay to sometimes say no. It's okay to say priorities. Um, other priorities come, come first. And I had discussions with friends as well where I said, no, I can't join because I have a, I have a training session this, uh, this evening. I can't come for after work drinks. Um, at least the way I always, that this always came a bit with a, almost a bit of a fear at my end because I always thought, okay, maybe they would then sort of reject me in the future because they say, oh, this is this boring guy who's always just running and there's no time for anything else. But I came to understand that the really good friends, the close friends who 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 are really there for you, they understand. And they also say, oh, all right, no problem. Yeah. You no, can... I I think you're actually right. That's been a theme that's come up several times on Mile 40 and I'm glad that you brought it up, you know, around the fact that when you set a certain bar for yourself. And when you want to uh, accomplish feats at a certain level, uh, a lot of times it involves a, re a refinement of, of your social circle. And it's not to say anything bad about anyone uh, who perhaps um, doesn't understand it at face value. But a lot of times when you want to accomplish these certain goals, it involves uh, the fact that your social circle just naturally gets smaller um, because there are very few people who could naturally align to um, you know what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, Absolutely, and, and it's also you when you engage more in one 
certain activity, you, you, you more surround yourself automatically with people who can empathize or who are you know, you have the same interests, right? And thus, your circle of friends also evolves. That doesn't mean, as I think you absolutely rightfully say, that doesn't mean it was anything wrong with your previous friends. It's just that interests shift, and this is completely natural to happen over a lifespan. At least the way it's the way I see it, or I say we have sort of friendships, friendships that are amazing for certain life uh, phases, and then as soon as you enter a new phase, or maybe you develop yourself in a different direction or further and or with a new interest with a new hobby this this may change a bit but this doesn't mean that anything was wrong with the previous or with the with the other friendship it's just moves slightly in a different direction hey all it's me Bishoy. as a marathon runner and endurance athlete i've come to understand the importance of properly fueling your body for preparation and recovery every day you get a shot at success how you start your day typically paints a picture of what the rest of the day will look like Start your day with a super convenient, healthy, and delicious nutritional win. Meal one by Creatures of Habit. Overnight oatmeal packed with 30 grams of plant-based protein, chia, flax, and pumpkin seeds. Vitamin D3, omega-3s, a probiotic, and digestive enzymes made in under one minute. Stop wasting time or worrying about what to eat as your first meal of the day. Start with meal one. Visit creaturesofhabit.com, creatures spelled with a K, and use code MILE40 for 15% off a one-time purchase or the first subscription order payment. You know, you mentioned that you're not part of any um, run clubs or anything like that right now. And that's totally fine. And and to be honest, I'm not officially a part of any uh, big run clubs or anything like that. But what I found recently, and I shared this online, was uh, I've been doing my best to network with people over morning runs. And so like, yes. I'll do like, you know, the 6am run. And I've, I've done a couple of them over the last month. And now I've, I've officially gone like public trying to get people to sign up with morning for morning runs with me uh, around this. Um, because I just feel like the synergy you get uh, starting off your day with someone sweating um, and talking things about goals, life, reflect goals, life, reflections, um, you know, in that kind of atmosphere. Um, it's extremely intimate uh, and raw and vulnerable. Um, and uh, I haven't found anything more beautiful from a networking perspective, to be honest. Uh, and I'd love to get your take with regards to um, how you've incorporated community into runs, even if it's in an unofficial capacity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Morning runs, big thing um, in my life, because at least for most of the friends who I run with very often, we all do quite high mileages per week. So double days are a very common theme. So running twice a day. So it means when you have a job on the side, it means you're running at six in the morning and you're absolutely right. These are the most, the best moments to sort of go out, you talk. Sometimes they're very close friends. So you can talk, have very intimate conversations. Also, you know, catch up because you may have not seen each other for for quite a while. Um, but then also you sometimes meet new people. So someone else brings, packs a friend along and then, you know, network with this person. You all, because Cirque is quite small, all of a sudden you find out, oh, okay, you know someone from the past um, through various different angles. And I really... When, when you said networking uh, runs in the morning, I, lo- I love the idea. That's it's brilliant. This is what we do quite often, not in a networking capacity, but for maintaining and uh, friendships, especially within sports. It is, is very cool, and uh, morning runs are often also very easy in our case. So it's a good moment to to chat and just you know have a have a have a fun time out. 
Can you give the listeners some insight with regards to uh, the seasonality in Switzerland and uh, the weather so people can understand what it's like year round? Yeah. Uh, again, I'll have to talk in Celsius, sadly, because I'm just not sure. aware yeah. of when <laughs> imperial measures. But um, I mean, it, it is very like morning runs in summer. Amazing. It's um, that's probably like in the morning, like 15 to 20 degrees Celsius. No, no idea how much is in Fahrenheit. Terribly okay. sorry to all the listeners. Um, so they, this makes it very, very pleasurable. We went out for a run this morning with a friend. It was, was beautiful. The sun was rising. Um, there was, was around the lake, beautiful scenery, typical Switzerland views, as you would imagine them. Um, during winter, not so much. It gets really, really cold. There's a lot of snow. Then the morning runs are a true challenge, I have to say. But we go for them anyways. You just have to pack yourself in. We always say there's no bad weather. There's just bad gear. Um <laughs> Yeah, so there is there is this change in season. So normally I would say spring and, and autumn where it is roughly, yeah, in thing they average for like 15 or 20 degrees uh, Celsius, um, which is quite comfortable. I, you would have to probably... No, so 20 this. degrees Celsius is 68 degrees Fahrenheit, which is great yeah. running weather. Um, yeah. What's the elevation like? Um, Zurich is on roughly 400 meters above sea level. Okay. So not that high, but um, we sometimes go running the mountains. For example, the coming weekend, we're going to Wallis, which is a small canton or a state, if you will, of Switzerland, where we go out run up at like 3,000 meters, which is, I think, roughly 9,000 feet above sea level. So that's quite high up already. Um, but this is all very reachable. I mean, Switzerland is a tiny country, right? So it takes maybe a two-hour car drive and you're there. So it's very, very easy accessible. After this episode, to the listeners out there, be sure to follow, follow Moritz because the the pictures that he posts are just absolutely <laughs> incredible. I mean, look, I love running on the West Side Highway in New York, and I, you know I'll talk about it all day. But it is nothing <laughs> like some of the scenery that you are posting. Uh, and so, uh, to listeners out there, make sure you you follow him after this. Um, I know I, I asked earlier about uh, this weekend's race and 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 getting on the podium. And, and the reason I asked about that, and if you can share some information, is because I'm going to ask you about, uh, you know, what your ambitions are from here, right? Like you've accomplished yep. a lot as a runner, right? And yep. seeing you place, uh, it was first place, right? This weekend yes. uh, on the podium says to me that, like, what what more... At this point, are are we trying to prove? Are we trying to win the marathons, or are we, um, you know? And he's looking at me like maybe. Uh, or, uh, are we are we trying to uh, hit a certain time point, or you know what what's going on in your head right now? Because again, for the listeners contextually, it's really important to understand that the paces that Moritz is running uh, are just spectacular um there's really no other way to to put it then you know a lot of people could train for a very long time and, and never hit these paces uh and so i'll let you kind of answer that a little bit with regards to what what's going on inside that head with regards to what you want to accomplish at this point in terms of the, your running journey yeah um it's a very good question and i would actually answer this with regardless of the pace i'm running because i think it applies to everybody um what I'm measuring myself against is my own times and my own performances, because I know to win a marathon, especially a, a large marathon, I'm still, even though I'm, 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 I'm a good performer, I'm miles away from that. Like the difference between me and an Elif Kichobi, that this, this doesn't sound like a lot, but like 
30 minutes on a marathon is a massive gap, especially at that level. It takes more and more work to get better as well. So it's not a linear relationship. You have to put in more and more and more work and comparatively your jumps in performance are getting smaller and smaller. And so my key focus is actually on um, just improving my own time. So obviously for the marathon, going sub to 30 um, at some stage would be very nice. Maybe running a half marathon at sub 110 would also be great. Um, but I know it's 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 a it's a, a, a lengthy progress to get there and it takes patience. It takes taking good care of my body because longevity and consistencies are at least in my view, um, two of the key important success factors when it comes to running. Um, so I'm not really having these hard goals. I know more or less what's the direction I want to travel in, but I know there is, you know, there are variables around it. There are different factors playing a role. Um, so I'm not too much fo- or not. I've tried to not over-focus on it. I just try, okay, let's, like I said earlier, right. I try to play a little bit with my training, see, okay, does this improve my, my, uh, my performance? If not, okay, let's try maybe something new. Let's try to add this element. And then I see if I, if I get uh, how this impacts my performance ultimately when I run a marathon twice a year. What's your biggest area of improvement? Um, most likely running economy because I'm not from a running background, right? Someone who comes from track and field has probably a much better running form than I do. Um, and yeah, I think this is the, 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 the place where I can work the most. Got it. And I mean, other goals, right? Coming back goes to the race that this weekend. That was actually a trail race. So this was not a road running race. Um, was on a very beautiful mountain in central Switzerland. Um, Stoss, it's quite famous uh, with tourists because there's this rich hike. So that was, I think, roughly 15 miles, if I have my math correct, with, I think, 6,000 meters of uh, 6,000 feet of elevation gain. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're basically doing seven miles up with uh, 6,000 feet gain and then 6,000 feet down on the second seven uh, miles. So it's quite steep. Um, and this is probably also something I can see myself going into more and more when I'm getting a bit older, maybe as well, is to into trail running. Switzerland offers a lot uh, there, obviously, with the Alps and with the mountains. And it's also something I fairly enjoy because it's a, it's a different kind of running. It's less hard paced on pavement on the road. And it's more... Um, Really about it's a, it's a lot about patience there as well. It's pacing on an uphill is 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 is, is, is a whole different story. It can be a super successful and experienced and seasoned road runner. If you run that steep up a steep hill, this is an entirely different ballgame. Absolutely. Um, I know we had uh, Terry White on the podcast recently, yes. and the reason you and I met a couple of years ago was through the Wolico community. Uh, yes. And I always see you rocking the Wolico gear. For the listeners out there, um, outside of Wolico, is there any other uh, brand that has really kind of uh, played a role in your running journey? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to use different brands. To, to sort of try out as well what works for me to sort of, you know, Volokoi is very good because it's sort of tried and tested with the pouches and everything I can s- store. Like because on a marathon, for example, I eat roughly six to eight packets of gel. So quite a lot of fuel. Yeah. So you need to carry this somewhere, except if you're a professional, then you have someone hand it to you, yeah. <laughs> which of course is, is a benefit He's almost to us. He's <laughs> almost, yeah, there. maybe, maybe. <laughs> so maybe one day I get at my different, my, my, my own table somewhere. But um no, so they were tried and tested. But for example, Satisfy Running, it's a small uh, brand from Paris. They have very cool styles, um, quite in a pricey, a quite higher price range, but amazing quality. 
Um, also very light stuff, which I enjoy for summer. So I like the shirts are like 70 grams, extremely light clothing. And yeah, shoes wise, I run often with Nikes um, or uh, with Saucony as well, both US brands that I actually just... And I think this is something that develops over time by also trial and error to a lot of uh, the, to a lot of extent where I sort of find out, oh, okay, this type of shoe fits me well or this shoe feels really well on the foot. And um, yeah, then you sort of just get your preferences uh, sort of sorted out over time. I love it. All right, we're, we're wrapping up here. Take yourself back to that ACL tear. Right. Yeah. And where you were at that point in life to where you are today. Uh, what reflections come to mind with regards to um, how running has kind of uh, played a role in in your personal growth uh, coming off the face of an injury that was, um, you know, quite intense for an athlete. And and a lot of times people don't really recover from ACL injuries. Um, you know, give me a little bit of a reflection with regards to um, what your thoughts are. Absolutely. I think there is a, um, it's actually a bit independent of what the injury or what your sort of pit moment is, because even if it's a small one, you can gain a lot of strength from it. And that's always how I viewed it. And that's what also inspired me to come on your onto your podcast, because I think these are important moments to share, regardless of how severe it is or the perception of how severe it is. And I have to say, a moment like this, even though it seemed kind of insignificant at the time, because it's like, okay, she's going to do rehab. When I look back on it now, or the last five, six years, it changed me extreme, a lot as a person. I became better from an athletics point of view. So I improved my running performance, but outside of that, there are also side effects that are, um, that I could attribute to almost this one moment, which are, I'm much more balanced now in terms of my personality. I think I've calmed down a lot. I'm much more controlled. I'm much more, feel a bit older as well, a bit more experienced. Um, but then again, also, I feel like I'm much more uh, stress resistant running really did this to me where I sort of feel like, okay, I can keep going. I keep going, 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 just, and it feels fine. I can sort of handle whatever comes my way and I just react to it in a very calm fairy. Okay, good. New idea, new project, new objective, new goal. Let, let's go at it. Let's, let's keep going. And then I, I know I'll succeed. I love that. Um, it, it's just so beautiful to see, um, you know, what, your journey was like, um, and how a, a pivot uh, in, in the wake of an injury, which we're all susceptible to. What I love about your story is it's extremely relatable uh, in, in the sense that uh, a lot of us are susceptible to similar moments in life where a certain event could cause us to go in a different direction. Um, and you embraced it. You took it as an opportunity. Uh, and it has flourished for you uh, in, in a way that um, is just so spectacular. And um, I want to say thank you for coming on to the show. It, it really means a lot to me to have you on and to have stories like this come on. And um, I, I love the relatability of it. Um, I love the fact that uh, you are, I think, the first international guest that we've had on, if I remember correctly. So, uh, uh, so it, it's really good to have you here for the exposure as well. Um, and I also love the fact that you know we met through the running community without actually ever running together. Um, That's right. Yeah, and, and here we are now. Um, so, you know, before I let you go, is there any other last messages or anything that you want to leave to the listeners with regards to um, either uh, an impactful 
mindset of yours or uh, something that you kind of use for motivation or uh, that steers you know your your movement forward? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure to be here and to talk to you because I, when I read um, um, what your podcast is all about and listened into it, I thought, okay, this is actually something I can really contribute to. And as you said, have a re- relatable story to share. But I think for the listeners, my, and it's also sort of to a large degree, my life motto is that every pit or every uncertainty also brings a lot of opportunity. So if you are in a moment where you feel not well, where you feel, okay, I have have a moment where where I'm struggling, where I don't know what's coming next, where I'm feeling weak, where I'm feeling vulnerable, always be mindful of that as difficult as the situation or this moment may feel in that that second, in that minute or in that hour or over the weeks you're experiencing it. Down the line, over the years, you may look at this moment and say, hey, actually, I took a lot of it lot lot with me through my life and i was able to grow from it and i think this is um something that is essential to 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 progress in life and to really uh make the best out of your individual life thank you maritz no better way to end the show today thanks for coming on board great thank you Bijoy. take care Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.